Well, good morning, Hope. Like John said, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. I spend my time at our West Des Moines campus. And you may be thinking to yourself, uh, as you watch that, you're like, who, who brought the gloomy guy to worship this morning? I mean, he comes and he's a guest and he shows us this, this video that's just, it's, it, it's, it's so awful. And it, it's just not the right. We go from an offering song led by the worship team. And aren't they phenomenal? My goodness, give God praise for them. And so we're listening to that, and we're dancing to that. My kids were dancing to that. I was dancing to that. And then all of a sudden we see that, and you're like, what's the deal? The deal is, is that's life. The deal is, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to actually tell the truth with one another, which this is the opportunity that we have to do this. This is the amazing part about church and about the community that God calls us to be with one another is we can tell the truth because the truth, the Bible tells us, the truth sets us, and we need to be free. And the reality is, if we're going to be honest, a lot of us have come here this morning, and either ourselves or somebody that we know or somebody around us or somebody that's near and dear to us, that's their experience. It's a Psalm 22 kind of experience. And sometimes I think we can make the mistake. And sometimes I think as a community, we can all operate under the same mistake and to think that in order to be Christian, in order to know God, in order to have a relationship with God, in order to be a part of this whole thing called church, we need to have it all together. And we don't have questions about God. And we we certainly don't have questions about our faith. But you see, that's just not the truth. And the thing that I love about the Bible and the thing I love about Scripture and the thing I love about God's Word, it's exactly what Jed was saying just a short time ago. So when we dig into the, the pages of God's Word and we see the, the story of God with His peoples, we see that they aren't people that are void of problems. They're people who encounter problems. Those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Those words were words that were were written by a guy by the name of David. David, we know, is the greatest king that the world has ever known. Remember, David was the one who was called by God to, to, to lead God's people. And David was chosen. Remember this. David was chosen. The Bible tells us David was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. But even David, who's the greatest king the world's ever known, who, who, who had experienced the greatest victories the world's ever known. Even David finds himself in a situation in his life multiple times, not just once, not just twice, multiple times. You read through the Psalms, many of which are written and inspired by the the life of David. So many of those deal with struggle and not victory. Psalm 22, David is saying, my God, my God, Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? Why have you made it seem like you are so far away from me? Ever feel like that? Ever feel like God is far, God is distant, that God is not present in your life? It's not just David, though. Those words were the same words that, that Jesus himself, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus, in the last breaths that he takes 
In his human life, Jesus calls out these words on the cross. And Jesus on the cross, just before he dies, even Jesus was a person, a human, who, who knew what it was to struggle, knew what it was to experience darkness. Jesus, knowing the great anthems of God's people, calls out the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God. Where have you gone? I think sometimes we read the Psalms and we read statements like that and we hear those read and we see those broadcast in a video like that and we, we think sometimes that they're, that they're rhetorical questions. They're questions that go out into thin air that are never going to be answered. But I believe, as surely as I'm here today, I believe that when David called out these words that he wanted God to answer. He didn't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to have nobody respond to that request? He says it because he expects that God's going to show up somehow, in some way. Wasn't just David, wasn't just Jesus. One of the great hymns of the church. If you heard the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, aside from the, uh, the hymn, Amazing Grace, if we were to go to the history of the church, over the last two generations, this would be the most popular song, aside from Amazing Grace, that's been sung in churches around the world. Great is Thy Faithfulness isn't a song just about the joy and the victory of life. It's a song that's about incredible pain. Taken from the words of a guy by the name of Jeremiah, who was a prophet, a prophet who had been called by God. Called by God to speak God's truth to a, 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 a people who had turned their back on God. And because Jeremiah was sharing a truth that was incredibly difficult, the people turned their back on Jeremiah. So he writes this book in the Bible. It's called Lamentations. And it's the cries of Jeremiah. He was a man that had been called by God, but he's known as the weeping prophet because of the struggles that he encountered. Lamentations chapter 3. You should read it. Talks about the struggles, and in the middle of it he says, but God, I know that you're here. Great is your faithfulness. It's what I love about this series that we've been in for most of the summer. We've been doing this series, the Summer of Acts. We've been doing this series at all of the campuses here at Lutheran Church of Hope. And the thing I love about the story of Acts, the, the book of Acts, is we have the Old Testament was the story of God with his people, and all of those stories are pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And then we get to the beginning of the New Testament, and we have the Gospels, which is the stories of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes when I look at the Old Testament and sometimes when I look at the Gospels, I, I can trick myself and say, well, well, everything is leading to Jesus, but I want to know what's like life like after Jesus is here. It's the book of Acts. That's our story. Life in a response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and the story of Acts follows those first apostles who were, were filled with God's Spirit. Couldn't do it on their own. 
on their own volition. They would have never been able to do what they were able to do. But filled with God's spirit, anything was possible. And so we see Peter and the other apostles, those first disciples who had witnessed the resurrection. And Jesus had called them and he had said to them, he said, you're going to take this message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly what they're doing in the book of Acts. What they're doing is the only way that it gets here to Des Moines, Iowa. And then we get to know a guy by the name of Paul. Talked about him not too many weeks ago. Paul at one point was somebody who was utterly opposed to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's transformed. It's amazing what God can do with you when he transforms you, isn't it? (laughs) We once were lost, but now we're found. Paul was found. But even though Paul had been found, even though Paul had experienced the transformational power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of his life-giving spirit, not everything was easy for Paul. It's where we find ourselves when we get to Acts chapter 16, which was where the Bible reading was taken from this morning that Chris read for us. Paul is in a place called Philippi. Now, Philippi is one of the early churches that was started by Paul and the other people who are spreading the gospel. And after we get through the book of Acts, we'll get through to the book of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are all letters that Paul, much, most of them are written by Paul, and he's writing to these early churches. And most of the letters, if you read through them, are actually Paul getting after the early churches because they had lost their way. It was a church that was ripe with division and people who were using religion as a way to lord power over other people. You ever experienced that before? One of the great sorrows, I think, of a lot of our hearts is when people have used religion in a way that's beat us up and not built us up. And if that's been your experience, I'm really glad that you're here. Because we're a church of grace. We're a church that's centered on Jesus Christ. We're a church that takes it very seriously that we are all sinners in the need of God's grace. And you are welcome here. A lot of those churches had started to experience some of that division that power does. People had perverted the gospel. But it wasn't like that in the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was kind of a a flagship, a, a banner church for Paul. In fact, Paul writes in the beginning of his letter to the Philippians, he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Paul's writing this from the dirt floor of a prison, and he's writing to this church that he loves because he actually thinks to himself, man, I did something right. Everything else is kind of like a mess, but you guys get it. You got it. Which is incredibly changed from the place that Paul had walked into in Acts chapter 16, because it wasn't a community that wanted to hear the message of Jesus Christ. 
Philippi was a place that was, it was a Roman city. It was a place that was, was centered on power. The, the Greeks, when you read about the Greeks in the New Testament, the Greeks were known for their intellect. The Romans were known for their power. You followed the Roman rule because if you didn't, you would be punished and punished severely. Which is what happens to Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are walking through the streets of Philippi and there is a a person who keeps calling them out. And and so Paul sees what she's doing and she's actually a slave girl who has the ability to to be a fortune teller and she's making her slave owners a lot of money. And and so Paul kind of gets sick of it and he casts the evil spirit out of her, which infuriates her slave owners because he's cut off their income stream. So he has Paul and Silas arrested, and they're in prison. The prison that Paul is in is much different than the prison that we would know today. Just over a year ago, my wife Bridget and I were able to go to Israel, to the Holy Lands, and we were able to go into some of these prisons which were more like dungeons. And, and in each prison, there would be this, this really thin bench, and, and up on the wall, there would be a cutout in the stone where they would make people uh, put their hands to, and they would chain them to that, that notch in the wall. And the same thing would be done to their feet. And so for most of the day, 23 hours of the day, these people would be forced to to stay in chains. And the only time they would feel relief from the chains would be when they were being beaten and flogged. And this is what Paul and Silas are going through. It's really interesting. The guy who writes the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. And Luke is very careful with his language. I find it fascinating the words that, that Paul or Luke uses when he describes the situation. He says, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks, and it was around midnight. Everybody say midnight. It's interesting that Luke would use that because he couldn't look at the clock on the wall and say, yep, it's about midnight. What is he saying? What's Midnight. It's middle of the night, isn't it? The word in the Greek is actually two words put together, one meaning night, one meaning middle. That's obvious. But metaphorically, what it was was the absolute dividing line between sunset and sunrise. It was the place that was void of any hope. Have you ever experienced midnight in your life? I remember when I was little, one of my best friends, his name was Nate, he lived next door to me when my family moved to Fargo, which is where I grew up. I was eight months old when my family moved there. Nate was my first friend, and he was my best friend. And I remember when I got a little bit older, Nate had asked me if I wanted to stay overnight at his house. And I was a little older than probably most kids that had done their first overnight because I was a very tentative kid. I was a mama's boy. And I didn't want to stay overnight without my mom and dad there. It was scary to me. And so my mom had kind of prepped me. She said, do you really want to stay overnight there? And I said, yes. And she was really questioning it because she knew that if I went there and I got scared, what would I do? I would call in the middle of the night. She didn't want that to happen. She loved me, but she loved her sleep, which most of us do. 
So she started to prepare me for what it was going to be like. It's going to be a different bed, and Dad and I aren't going to be there. And I said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. She gave me tricks on how to make myself fall asleep because she was scared. I would be so scared I wouldn't fall asleep, and then I would call her at that point. That's not what happened. Fell right asleep, but in the middle of the night, I woke up. Because I was a tentative kid, my parents always kept a light on outside of my bedroom. Because when there was light, there was hope. When there was light, I could see. Woke up in the middle of the night at Nate's house, and there was no light. And I felt so alone. I remember sliding out of bed. I can remember that. Maybe it's because I was like 16 years old. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Had to make sure you're still with me. I remember sliding out of the bed, and I I remember going into the hallway, and I had been in Nate. Remember, he's my best friend. I'd been in his house so many times. I I knew that house just as much as I knew my own house. His parents were like my second parents. And I thought to myself, I need to go, and I need to wake Terry up, Nate's mom. But in the darkness, I lost my way. I remember getting out into the hallway, and I had no clue where I was. Man, darkness has a way of doing that in our lives. We say, I should know the way. I should know the way to where I'm going. Man, I've been down this road a hundred times. But the darkness comes, midnight comes, in the middle of the midnight, we have no clue how to make us, it paralyzes us. And unfortunately, there's a lot of us that go through lives and we're paralyzed and we don't know how we're going to take the next step forward. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here's exactly why Jesus sent his son, or God sent his son Jesus into the world. Just to give us hope and to give us light midnight. What do you do in your midnight? I mean, when everything feels like it's falling around you, what do you do? I, I would tell you that this is what I see most people do, but that wouldn't be honest. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people do this, but if I'm going to be honest, which we should be honest, we're in church. This is what I do. Because it's human nature. When we find ourselves in midnight, so many of us, the first thing we want to do is we... we we try to explain it. That if I can give an explanation to how I got myself here, somehow that's going to make it feel better. But does it? Huh. I mean, in that hallway, when I was that kid and the darkness was so real, it had enveloped me, I could have told you all the reasons that I had gotten there, but it still wouldn't get me out of there. And it's important to know. And it's important to to look at our lives and say, what am I doing that's good and what am I doing that's not helpful and not healthy? But sometimes we we, we give and try to find an explanation when that's not what really we need. Sometimes we try to explain it. This is a big one. Check your heart. Sometimes we just try to escape it. We put something in our life that's going to try to make us forget what's happening around us. We can talk about kind of the, 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 the more talked about ways in which people escape, drugs, alcohol, sex. But those aren't the only ones, are they? 
It's TV. It's our relationship with our significant other. It's our kids. Even when they're drawing right next to the stage. That's my midnight right now. the things that we do to try to get us to free. It's the way in which we numb the pain that's in our lives. But the problem is, is when whatever we do to escape it is over, we're still in midnight. Sometimes we try to excuse it, try to sweep it under the rug. We try to pretend like it's actually not happening. Somebody asks you, you say, how are things going for you right now? It seems like you're in a difficult time. You say, oh no, everything's just okay. Everything's fine. No big deal. And we pretend that if we can convince ourselves that what's happening isn't really happening, that somehow it's just going to gradually dissipate over time. But does it? No. We try to put the Band-Aid over it. And we try to cover it up, but it doesn't work. See, the thing that's so phenomenal about this story about Paul and Silas is they are in absolute midnight. It's not whether, if, whether or not if they're going to die, it's when they're going to die. If it isn't for a miracle of God, they're going to perish in the experience that they're presently in. It is absolutely midnight. So what do they do? Listen to this. This is nuts. It says it's about midnight, and Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They didn't explain it. They didn't escape it. They didn't excuse it. Here's the most difficult thing. We need to engage it. Folks, there's darkness in the world. Jesus promises it in John chapter 16. It's nothing new. John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will face trouble of every kind. You will. None of us are immune to it. And we can try to explain it. We can try to, we can try to escape it. We can try to excuse it. Or we can engage it. Or we can remember the truth that Paul and Silas... It wasn't like Paul and Silas were in prison saying, Joyful, joyful, we are... They were singing Psalm 22. They were singing the songs of lament pleading and pleading that the God who had created them, the God who had sent his son into the world, this Jesus that had appeared to them and had transformed their lives, that that God who had made himself so present wasn't going to leave them alone at their greatest moment of need. Church, this is what we need to know. You say, well, I'm not like Paul. I could never do what Paul does. Well, Paul's just like you, and he's just like me. But Paul had something inside him that was so much greater than anything the world could give us. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, which gave him the ability to have the peace that would transcend anything we could ever imagine. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit produces these fruits, these gifts. Look it up. Love, joy, peace, peace, peace in the midst of chaos. 
which gives light in the midst of darkness. About 18 months ago, it was Thanksgiving, my, my uncle Dick, my dad's brother, is the only family member my dad has left. He came to Des Moines, he lives in uh, New Orleans, came to Des Moines, and he, he came to uh, just have Thanksgiving with, with my dad and with my family. It's a great time. He and my uh, Aunt Gladys came to worship at Hope that Thanksgiving uh, Eve service. Dick had had a very estranged relationship with the church. There were events that happened in his life when he was younger that made him feel like he was unwelcome. So he came to church that Thanksgiving and nobody thought anything about it. Thirteen months after that experience, uh, it was Christmas Eve uh, that during that time, which we all know if you've ever gone to Hope, Christmas Eve or any of our campuses at Hope is nuts. It's busy. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's the best Jesus party. So my dad was talking to his brother Dick, and he said, hey, Dick, sorry I didn't call you back. It was Christmas at, at, at church, and he said, yeah, I know. My dad said, what do you mean you know? He said, well, we tune in from time to time. He quickly changed the conversation, didn't think anything about it. Three months after that, just this past year, my uncle called my dad and he said to my dad, Dave, uh, just came back from the doctor. My dad said, I knew from the minute I answered the phone in his voice that something was wrong. He said, I have leukemia, an advanced case. Now, I got to be fair, he's 82 years old. He had a full life. But death isn't anything any of us want to encounter. So my dad said to his brother, he said, Dick, I'm, I'm so sorry. And Dick said the most amazing thing. <laughs> he said, Dave, it's going to be okay. And my dad said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I told you just in December that we may tune in to Hope Online on an occasional basis, but the reality is, it's from that first Thanksgiving that we visited your church, we haven't missed a Sunday worshiping online. And we encountered something through your church that we've never encountered before. Dick said, my entire life, it felt like I was looking at God from the outside looking in, that I wasn't welcome, but somehow in the last year and a half, I've come to understand what grace is. Day after that, he sends my dad an email and he signs it, your brother Dick, not just in flesh, but in spirit. Dick died just like a month ago, today I think. Sorry, didn't think I was going to cry at that point. It was midnight. but he knew it was going to be okay. It wasn't like he welcomed it. It wasn't like he said, oh, great, I have cancer. That's wonderful. But he knew the truth that is offered to you and it's offered to me. It's the truth of Jesus Christ, that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him, it doesn't matter what the midnight for you has been, that God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness is for you. And it gives you peace and it gives you hope and it gives you light in the midst of darkness. That the darkness comes into the world but can it, never, it can never overcome the light. 
God's for you. And the same miracle that happened to Paul inside, the prison door swung open. It was a miracle. But did you notice at the end of the story, the jailer is terrified because if the prisoners get away, his life is going to be taken. And Paul and Silas stayed put. So why are you still here? They put the sword away. We're not leaving you behind. We're not leaving you behind either. My dad went to my uncle's uh, funeral just two weeks ago now. He said it was phenomenal that every person that came up to my dad, he realized that my dad was Dick's brother. They look alike, so it wasn't that much of a surprise. But they said in the last months of his life, you couldn't come to his house, you couldn't visit him without him sitting you down and saying, you have to hear what I've heard. You have to experience what I've experienced. He wouldn't let anybody go without having them being welcomed with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why we have a million beach balls in this worship center right now. That's why we have floaties hanging from the ceiling because over the next week at Hope, we're going to have thousands of kids across all of our campuses that are going to come and be encountered with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. The guy says, what must I do to be saved, rescued, delivered? How can I be freed from the midnight that I'm experiencing? Paul says, just believe. Receive the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is for you, but God's love is for you. God's life through Jesus Christ is for you. Receive it, believe it, put your trust in it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Your trust doesn't have to be without doubt. Faith by nature elicits doubt you have a champion that's come to fight and his name is Jesus Christ and he's given his life for you today let's stand and let's sing and then we'll go home